0: So, Manal, you're a cyber security geek, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, if you call it that way.
0: Well, what on earth is a cookie and why does my phone eat them?
1: Interesting. So, have you ever felt that your phone is listening to you? Uh,
0: Yes, sometimes.
1: Have you ever felt that your phone is actually reading your mind?
0: Uh, Yeah, there have been times I've caught myself looking over my shoulder wondering, how does my phone know what I'm thinking?
1: Yeah, so the answer is surveillance-based advertising, and it's the topic of this episode where we try to expose how big tech are watching you and what big tech don't want you to know.
0: Well, you're listening to Menal and Reinhardt. These answers and more on today's episode of Tech for Evil.
1: Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You've been living in a dream world, Neo. A prison for your mind. Salam, everyone. My name is Manal sharif I'm a cybersecurity expert, and i worked all my life to protect people's data from hackers. I'm also a women's rights activist, and I use social media successfully to start the Women to Drive movement Back home in Saudi Arabia,
0: and I'm Reinhard Sösen. I've worked 20 years in technology, but never really understood just how evil big tech was getting. But I'm lucky; I have a friend who's a cybersecurity expert, and together we're on a journey to educate people around the world, investigate the evils of big tech, and inspire netizens, just like you, young and old, towards a better digital future. Hello everyone and welcome to our very first episode of Tech for Evil. Today we'll be covering surveillance-based advertising, explaining what it is, how big it has become, how it works and how it started. We'll also look at what the impact of it is on us today. We'll discuss some alternatives to this model and we'll give you some practical tips on how to evade this type of surveillance, how to configure your devices, tools you can use, and fight back against Big Brother. So let's begin. Imagine for a moment that your favorite radio station plays an ad for the local pizza shop every time you were thinking about getting a juicy Hawaiian pizza. You'd feel a little suspicious, wouldn't you? Funny thing is, This happens to us every day when we're online, using our laptops or our phones, on social media, or just browsing the web. We find ourselves bombarded by ads that seem to know what we're thinking. And there's a very good reason for this.
1: There is actually a good reason. So every time we go online, create a social media profile, we actually voluntarily telling them who we are and what we like.
0: So we're voluntarily telling big tech everything they need to know about us. And traditionally, in the past, this type of personal information would have been used to show us relevant ads.
1: Let's say you, I'm, I'm interested in serving, which I am. The website will actually start showing me ads for surfboards, which is okay.
0: Right. This is what would be called targeted advertising.
1: Yeah. But however, this type of targeted advertising is not what we have today, Reinhardt. So digital marketing evolved really from these types of targeted ads to surveillance-based advertising. And this evolution happened when these tech companies started collecting all these little bits of data that we did not share with them. It's like, look at it as a trail of breadcrumbs we all have online and reveal very personal things about our lives. And these tech companies are very good in collecting this trail of breadcrumbs and crafting an image and a profile of who we are. So most of our Internet time today usually goes on a handful of tech giants, companies like Facebook and Google. Uh, They call them the big tech companies of Silicon Valley. So they attracted billions of active users. Because all of us use the same platform, only the same websites, Facebook and Google. Today, they have the ability to micro-target their users for ads.
0: Okay, so far, the story is that we started with traditional targeted advertising. Then, millions of us made online profiles, handed over our personal information willingly. We spend most of our internet time on Facebook and mostly searching using Google, So, naturally, our personal information has been concentrated into the hands of a few tech giants who can read our trail of online breadcrumbs. So, if you're a digital marketer, of course you're going to work with this handful of powerful big tech companies because they can micro-target millions of us for ads based on our preferences. This dynamic is what gave rise to a world of surveillance-based advertising where revenues come from clever ads that seem to already know what we're thinking. This has made Google and Facebook some of the wealthiest companies on the planet with their main source of revenue being digital advertising. Google, for example, has 90% of the market share for all searches around the world and that's true whether you're on a phone or a laptop.
1: you know how many Facebook users there are today. I think
0: it was it was two billion active users. I think, right? I
1: think it's two point three billion. Not even what? the Vatican have that many followers. <laughs> oh, how many? I uh, think they, in Facebook they don't call them followers. They call them uh, uh, users. Oh they, yes. It's like like I love I, I love yeah, that how tech word. companies call us users, right?
0: Yes, exactly. Because it's <laughs> we're, we're the addicts. We're the drug users of the internet. Yes. Well, okay, so we realize that most advertising is targeted to one degree or another. If we go to the cinema to watch an action movie, we're going to have to sit through five trailers for other action movies first. What would you watch? Oh,
1: What would you watch? It
0: would have to be something with Arnold Schwarzenegger. That man has a direct line to my masculine side.
1: <laughs> so they're going to show you ads of Schwarzenegger, yes. Exactly. I'll be back.
0: So, we accept that we will see trailers based on the movie we actually came to see, but that's not what surveillance-based advertising is about. The surveillance-based model means that someone or something already knows that we were having a bad day when we walked into the cinema, knew that we bought our favorite popcorn flavor in the lobby, and that we really liked the wristwatch that one of the main characters in the movie was wearing.
1: All these things that we did not share with them. If I'm an advertiser, I really don't want to waste my time uh, advertising to you about, let's say, uh, The Simpsons oh, movie. could the care less. Simpson not movie. I don't, want to, I don't want to waste my time and money on showing advertising to the wrong audience. And personally, I'm okay with that if you just show me a personalized eye because it's just... It's part of going online is to see advertising. Mm. If it's related to me, thank you. So advertising platforms like Facebook offer advertisers who want to buy our attention the unprecedented ability to micro-target us by our preferences. Not only by our preferences, we'll talk later about other ways they know about our personalities with the information that we did not share with them.
0: Yes, these were these breadcrumbs that big tech have created an ecosystem that knows how to gather and find.
1: Exactly. And, you know, we all know that our phone listening to us, we just don't want oh, to confess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to say, oh, my, f- I talked about something and it showed on my phone. How many times you heard this? But we always question ourselves. So we know. Yeah,
0: yeah we've suspected for a long time. And now I think the majority of people just kind of, yeah, take just, that for granted. Yep, my phone's listening yeah. to me.
1: They don't get bothered. Like we really, no. so big tech one of the things they did they knew how to desensitize us to this type of surveillance and monitoring and this happened to me i passed once by the mu- by a museum mm-hmm. and um, an hour later advertising of the new exhibition of that museum popped up on my phone <laughs> and i had to i had to search this i had to go and research it and apparently most of the communication companies today they do sell our uh, exact precise geolocation data to whoever wants to buy them
0: right yes this geolocation data that's one of the breadcrumbs that big tech can find out about us even though we weren't sharing it or didn't know that we had just by perhaps connecting to the cellular towers that were nearby and triangulating it from that
1: yeah and sometimes you did not even need to connect to that tower and we'll talk about this we will explain this mysterious Way of knowing to know, getting to know us so much by these big tech.
0: All right, so let's explain it. Let's unwrap it for our listeners. This great mystery: how big yeah. tech came to know so much about us. Because,
1: and I think it's the most important. And I love that you named it ecosystem. And it is an ecosystem where all these uh, parts of this ecosystem work in harmony with each other and complement each other. And we'll talk about the major ways those tech companies get to know us so much like when you're sitting in the cinema and they know that you are looking at that watch. So data brokers, it's the first part we want to explain to the audience, to our listeners. Yeah,
0: you call, you call them personal data vampires, don't you? Which I love.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because they just suck data from anyone who would sell it to them. And it's a multi-billion dollar data wow. mining industry. And We know very little about those vampires because they work in the dark, quietly behind the scene, and they aggressively collect our personal information from everywhere. And that includes not only our online activities, but also our offline activities. So let's say your credit card purchases, they can have access to that. Your government records, if you have any social media uh, profiles and posts, they can have that uh, information and add it to your profile. Your loyalty memberships, utilities bills, even our gym membership—they can have access to that. So they are willing to buy from anyone who would sell it
0: to them. I haven't been to the gym in a long time, so I don't think they're going to be able to track me there. Good luck to them, I say.
1: Yeah, they could track you through your pineapple pizza, by the way. So <laughs> don't <it>. underestimate them. <laughs> so we, do, we, so some of us know that our data is being collected and sold.
0: Yeah. So data brokers. They're the ones making the money, not by individual scraps of these breadcrumbs, but by putting large bunches of them together, and then they sell huge oceans of this data on to whoever's willing to buy them. And then that's how it becomes profitable for them, because they're selling at volume.
1: Yes, and again, because they collect information about us from all these data point entries, they can compare, and they can create that precise profile about us, what we like, our behaviors online, our purchasing also behaviors. Mm.
0: Okay, so data brokers are clearly an important part of this surveillance-based advertising ecosystem. But these cookies, (laughs)
1: <laughs> the cookies
0: right. yeah so what about the cookies tell me about the cookies uh, what are they what are they doing on my phone
1: they're annoying aren't they like every time except they only give you one option uh it has nothing to do with cookie monsters cookies <laughs> Damn. i love the name my
0: stomach, and they, my stomach was grumbling there for a moment
1: <laughs> the the cookies it, it it was actually when it started it was innocent hmm. and websites would use them to give us personalized browsing experience. Like let's say, remembering which local city with a report to show you when you are on that website. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. Yeah,
1: So imagine them like ID tags fit to our browser by that website that we're visiting. And it can have information about you and your browser. Let's say your, uh, your device ID, your geolocation, the screen size. But digital marketers, they discovered cookies. And they turned it into an evil thing Mm. called persistent third-party cookie. And it's a type of a tracking tool. And this third-party cookie logs our uniquely identifiable movements online over a long period of time and across our different devices.
0: So if you want to know how many of these cookies were accumulating, a 2015 study showed that My computer would gather more than 6,000 cookies just from visiting the 100 most common websites. 6,000 cookies are on my device just if I visit the 100 most common websites. They also showed that 83% of those cookies are from third parties. And I'm going to bet a lot of people, a lot of listeners will not be surprised to learn that it's Google's cookies that are active yep. on 92 of those top 100 websites. So Google are just about everywhere.
1: Yeah, because they use Google Analytics. And this is why they incentivize websites to have that cookie, Google cookie, uh, part of their website. So and have, I- you,
0: have you ever checked this? Just out of curiosity, have you ever gone online and like, tested some of this?
1: Yeah, I looked at my browser to see the cookies that I've already downloaded. I, I usually use private browsers, yeah, but I wanted to see. These. Yeah, so third-party cookies are in, the interesting one that we usually opt in by default. So I went to the to Yahoo. Like no one, I think goes to Yahoo today. But I just it was out of curiosity. <laughs> You're showing, I your to go, age, You're showing
0: your age, Mia. Showing your age.
1: I just didn't, I didn't want to go to Google. I was just like okay, let's try Yahoo. And Yahoo actually wanted to download over 450 third party cookies on my browser. So just imagine yeah, yeah. by visiting just you, wow. Yahoo. Yeah. Yahoo announced my visit to 450 websites and shared my information with them. Hmm. Uh, the tracking pixel, which is close to Cookie, I call it the evil brother of Cookie. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a hidden. Did you know about it before? Have you ever heard uh, about tracking
0: I, pixels? I only heard about it when I started talking to you about all this stuff.
1: I only heard about it when I started talking to my marketer, my digital uh, marketer yeah, friend. Yeah. I didn't even know about tracking pixels. And it's apparently this hidden image. When you sign up for a mailing list, they send you in the email when it arrives to your mailbox. They, send you the, they hide a pixel, uh, an invisible image in that email. Okay, And when you open the email... It tells them that you open the email and it sends them your precise geolocation.
0: So if your friend sent me an email and I opened it, he he would know. He would know. Yep, Reinhardt's opened that email.
1: And when I said, but this is unethical, why would you do that? And he was trying to convince me that this is part of measuring the success of their marketing campaign. How many people we send them the email, they opened it. But just imagine if someone wants... Let's say a stranger want to know wants to know um, if I'm uh, home
0: yeah.
1: or I'm on holiday and send me an email and know where I am.
0: Yeah, that's frightening.
1: It, it's it is
0: right. So basically, and, just from just from me receiving an email, the perfect stranger could know if I'm on holiday or not.
1: Yes, and that's, they, that's why they use a the tracking pixel. But also, tracking pixels are used in websites. Let's say I'm a bank. And the bank goal is to turn every visitor to a customer. So they hide all these tracking pixels on their website. And what the tracking pixels do, do, they monitor where your mouse pointer was hovering, how long you hovered over a particular link without clicking. And they also use this to show you targeted images and messages the next time you visit their website. So they study your behavior quietly behind the scene so they can alter and tweak their messages and where the links will be showing to you on their website the next time you go. And all with one goal is every visitor to their website, they want to um, make that visitor a paying customer.
0: Mm. All right, well, I'm going to try and put this in a real world example. Um, Imagine that the internet is a shopping mall and when you visit... You get this tag, this cookie, and it tells the shopping mall what time you arrived, who you are, other information about me. That's the essential cookie. But now there's something deeper because I also get another tag which activates me for an agreement. It signs me up to to this agreement that tells all the other shops in that shopping mall things about me. So, let's say I went to the grocery store. Suddenly, the shoe shop knows how I behaved in the grocery store, <laughs> the types of things I bought, what I was interested in, right? That's the third party cookie and the tracking pixel. It knows when I arrived, it knows when I stepped in, how I behaved when I got there. And that's one of these parts of the ecosystem that is assembling a picture about who I am when I'm on the internet. And about 100 yeah, people it. too, right? And then they share it. Yeah. To anyone that wants to trade in that data.
1: Yeah, but you see the tracking pixel that uh, they use on websites. It's not only about that you went to the grocery store and they tell the shoe shop that you went to the grocery store. No, the tracking pixels on the website, it tells the other shops what aisle you walked in. Mm, What item of food you picked up and just looked at the price tag. So they quietly study with these tracking pixels, your behavior online. There is another method that also, I was shocked that marketers, digital marketers are using and it's called browser and device fingerprinting. In cybersecurity, we use this one uh, for security and data protection reasons. Yes. So if you think that being tracked by cookies and invisible pixels and knows you, just meet it's more annoying relative. So fingerprinting (laughs) in our language... Hey,
0: I've got some annoying relatives I can introduce you to.
1: (laughs) We can send them some tracking pixels. (laughs) (laughs) So fingerprinting in tick language is a way to identify users based on what device or browser information is giving away when you go online. And it's initially used to prevent fraudulent online activities, uh, software piracy. It doesn't reveal your name and email, but it reveals the identity of your browser and device. This technique can successfully identify users 99% of oh, the time.
0: Boy, wow. By
1: just comparing pieces of data yeah. about you from different sources. Wow. So it doesn't reveal your name but when they compare it with your social media accounts that you use the same device for, yeah. they know it's Reinhardt.
0: So what about if I have like really good cookie hygiene? Like I clear my cookies, I have a private browser, like Brave or Tor or so whatever.
1: Even if you have a good cookie hygiene ritual, like private browsing with Brave and Tor, and Tor, this technique actually can evade it and re cook you. Great. There's nowhere to hide. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Uh, That will not help you. There's no way to hide once they use the fingerprinting technique.
0: Wow. So when I started this podcasting adventure with you, it all kind of centered around this report that was released this year in 2021. The Norwegian Consumer Council, they published this report, and it calls to ban surveillance-based advertising. And they were saying that the harms just – They totally outweigh any of the benefits it provides. And any of the benefits, they go to these uh, Silicon Valley big tech companies that we mentioned earlier, right? They're the ones making the profit. few of them too, yeah. And the report says that there's no desire really to um, abandon uh, these practices by these companies. They've been warned. They've had scandals. There were revelations about some pretty um, scandalous things, right? And the report just says the best thing to do here is just to ban surveillance-based advertising entirely. Um, actually, on that, on that report, on page six, I want to read it out because it's, it's, it's beautifully said. It says, Every consumer is vulnerable when faced with systems that covertly collect information about us, exploit it, and target us in a way that makes us vulnerable by default and commercializes all online activities. The massive scope of the technology means that consumers have little or no individual scope to protect themselves, that's us, against massive data collection. So profiling and pervasive targeting continues and it proliferates uh, along with new technologies, including artificial intelligence and machine learning, which I got to tell you scares me because artificial intelligence and machine learning, they're being described as this black box that we can't look into.
1: Yeah, and it's absolutely with machine learning. So, machine learning is type of artificial intelligence, and what it does, machine learning is you have an algorithm, and you feed this algorithm or train the algorithm with your data. Mm. <clears throat> so now all these big tech, they have they sit on this large amount of data, and they feed it to their algorithm algorithm that use machine learning, and these algorithms become smarter and smarter. And not only profiling us and knowing our psychological vulnerabilities, but also predicting our moods and predicting our online behavior and catering to that. That's scary. So the line really is blurred today between what we want when we went online or what we were programmed to want by these algorithms. Mm.
0: So one of the fifth really concerning parts of this ecosystem Um, and I think we'll leave it to our listeners to name, it's the mysterious way that the big tech companies collect the most personal information about us. Uh, When I started talking to you about this and we started this podcasting journey, I was quite shocked to learn about about this. Um, This is involving the spying from Alexa and Google Assistants and Google Pixel, Um, These are a few examples, right?
1: In 2015, Carnegie Mellon University conducted a research to find out how much data is shared by our phones. They asked 23 users who use Android to participate in the study for two weeks, and they were sending them texts with the results every day. And the results were unsettling. Many popular Android apps track their users nearly 6,200 times per participant over two weeks. And that's every three minutes. They send the location of that user back to Google. The study found that the apps asked for more data than was needed. One participant said he felt like he was being followed by his own phone. Android is made by and owned by Google. And today we have over 2.5 billion people using Android. Android devices don't only share location with Google and the rest of the apps that you have on your phone, but all users' behavior and how they use their phone is also shared. Things like battery level, your volume settings, any alarm clocks uh, data, even the way you save your contacts information on your phone. So much of our lives and personalities can be extracted from how we use our phones. Our phones are just an extension of who we are. There are companies today that have made a whole business out of analyzing such behavioral data and selling that to lenders. Those companies can analyze users' personalities through their phone usage and decide who is trustworthy of a loan and how much interest they should be charged. I'll give an example. If your phone battery is always low, that means you don't plan ahead and you are unlikely to pay your debt. Other things they use um, to decide the user personality, like the way you save your contacts. They say that you save your first the first name only of your contact without capitalizing the first letter or, 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 and without adding a last name. That means your trustworthiness of a loan is minimized.
0: And they are helping to construct this Orwellian nightmare that means, unfortunately, the con- collection and profiling of personal data is actually founded on an unregulated industry. Very few regulations exist for the collection of our personal data. That's that's pretty scary.
1: And and the champions, yeah, and the champions are what we mentioned, Big Tech, because they attracted a large and concentration of people there. Mm. Yeah. And they operate the surveillance with very little oversight. They're completely unregulated and there's no one auditing the work they've been doing.
0: Yeah. That's billions of people, right? Under surveillance.
1: And, and and their data is giving for free. So they don't know that this data being collected and monetized.
0: So our data, you mean our data is being given for free? We freely give it up, right? When we when we start using these platforms.
1: And 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 as as we mentioned, it's not only the data we give them, Yes. the data they go and collect or the data that the algorithms
0: Those breadcrumbs.
1: start to create about us. Like they just monitor your online behavior and they know uh, this person is depressed or this person is well, yeah. going to have a baby. All right.
0: So this shift, we've got targeted advertising on the one hand and surveillance advertising on the other. And in order to make that shift, Big tech companies took advantage of this lack of regulation and they invented this ecosystem. It's got these clever tools, cookies, tracking pixels, et cetera. And they invented devices as well that we gladly take on board because of the convenience. Alexa, yeah. yeah, it gives us in our lives. And all of these things actually just support this level of surveillance about profiling who we are, what we like. Sounds like surveillance, ad- it sounds to me like surveillance based advertising is a very, very clever salesperson.
1: Yeah, it's more of a psychologist, if you ask me.
0: Yes, good point.
1: A salesperson is uh, here, which is those tech companies, is actually a psychologist. And these psychologists know, not only know and empowered with large body of information.
0: Well, they know everything uh, about me.
1: Our whole history.
0: They know, they know me probably better than I know myself and what makes me tick.
1: Yeah, and and better than maybe your partner and your friends, your close friends, those algorithms would know who you are, when you're going online, when you're going to post, what are the things you're buying in the future? And they cater to that. And they also understand our vulnerabilities and insecurities and use that to sell us stuff and sometimes change our behavior.
0: Okay, so I want to pause you there because this is the perfect opportunity To bring up the case of Facebook, the Australian newspaper here in Australia revealed through documents that were leaked that Facebook were offering advertisers the opportunity to target 6.4 million Australian youngsters. Uh,
1: Yeah, some of them as young as 14 years old. Yeah, that
0: was particularly insidious, right? Because Facebook are now saying to advertisers, look, we're going to help you target teenagers by telling you when when they're experiencing moments of peak psychological vulnerability. Things like when the teenagers are feeling worthless, insecure, stressed, which teenager hasn't felt these things Probably routinely at that age as well, right? So, Facebook knew when when to target them, and then could sell that to advertisers, so that an advertiser could know precisely what to show a teenager and when.
1: Yeah, and and it's important to understand why Facebook are doing this.
0: Ah, well, let me let me let me speak to that because <laughs> while we were doing the research for this, okay, t- check out this for an incentive. Um, Google's parent company, Alphabet Inc., they reported revenues of 117 billion US dollars, and that's just in the first half of 2021. So 95 billion of that revenue, that came from advertising alone.
1: Digital so, advertising, yeah. Yeah.
0: So from more, that's 80 percent, right? A bit, a little more than 81 percent of that total revenue is just from digital advertising. Um. And the industry is growing. The, it, it's becoming one of the most important forms of advertising. $356 billion US dollars were spent on digital advertising last year in 2020. And in case you're wondering what that means in perspective, that's almost one quarter of Australia's GDP in that same year. Uh, so the obscene revenue... This, this is made possible by the surveillance and tracking of people online. And it sounds like it's not just the information that we willingly disclose, like names and our email addresses, but it's this trail of breadcrumbs once again, right, that we're leaving behind every time we go online, every time we use our device. And we mentioned the adoption of artificial intelligence. This is, this is a big deal because... Artificial intelligence, when used by big tech, makes it possible to analyze enormous data sets, massive oceans of data that are coming in from multiple data entry points. Analyzing them will grow that industry to astronomical numbers. Yeah. Unless something happens.
1: And- and. It's good to look at these um, big tech machines like uh, a monster. The more you feed the monster with your data, the more powerful it becomes. The more intelligent it becomes. Uh, Professor Shoshana Zuboff, in her book *Surveillance Capitalism*, she argued that we are now desensitized. As we mentioned before, about oh, our yes. privacy theft.
0: Yeah, yep. we don't.
1: We mentioned this. Yeah, we don't. We know we're monitoring, but we just don't care like in return of convenience, Big Tech made sure that us people using these platforms and services, we don't care anymore about our digital privacy. And this happened through systematic programming. So they trained us to hand over our data and in exchange, they will give us free services. Free services mean we are the product. So not everyone today feels strongly about their digital privacy rights And this might change if people are aware of how far they went in monitoring and manipulating us.
0: Okay, well, Manal, this is quite a state we've found ourselves in then.
1: It is indeed, and um, I'm the type who, to understand my present, I love to read the history, to understand how we reached, and how did it all start, and how did we get here? Oh,
0: okay. All right, look, I've prepared this thing for the podcast, right? Okay, so, <laughs> challenge accepted. Let's take a trip down memory lane and look at the history of online digital advertising. It was the mid-1990s and the web was awash with obnoxious flashing banners that were sparkled in rainbow font. Websites sold their space to advertisers like space was sold in a magazine or a newspaper. They were called banner ads, you probably remember them. Now, the idea of banner ads blew up and it kept websites free. Soon, specialized ad agencies came along helping companies place ads on the websites that their potential customers were most likely to see them. Soon after that, marketers developed digital tracking to ensure that they got a return on their advertising campaigns and a cost per impression pricing model was invented. As click rates on banners fell, pop-up ads were invented to recapture dwindling attention. You might remember these annoying pop-up ads. So search engines capitalized on this by introducing a pay for placement ads, which evolved into pay per click where someone could pay a dollar, say, to be the top search result. But this biased results towards companies who could pay for them. And that then led to fewer relevant search results. But Google came along with a fix and they introduced their quality score model, which tracked the click-through rate of users, which determined relevance and prioritized quality results over the less relevant ads. Then came the 2000s and social media platforms became a way to reach younger and younger audiences who had by then become largely desensitized to annoying banner and pop-up ads. They hardly noticed them. Facebook became leaders in targeted advertising by calculating the precise time and placement of ads for the target audience. Needless to say, most of us have noticed that ads have gotten smarter and they're more intrusive as the technology has advanced.
1: Oh, what a history. Listen, Reinhardt. <laughs> Did a you like that? One. <laughs> Did you like that? Thank you, teacher.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've been looking forward to doing that as soon as you brought, came up with this idea of let's do a podcast.
1: <laughs> Sean Parker, ex-Facebook president, warned that Facebook, and I quote him, literally changes your relationship with society, with each other, it probably interferes with productivity in weird ways. God only knows what it's doing to our children's brain. In his own words, he said they wanted to know how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. He went on to lament that we are all jacked, and again, this word is his word, jacked into the system all of our minds can be hijacked. Our choices are not as free as we think they are, end quote. It's good to mention that Facebook, once you click accept on the Facebook data use policy, you really sign up for a mass psychological experiment. And this policy, if you go and read it, if you ever have time to read Facebook policy use policy, it says, quote, Who has time
0: time to read the Facebook policy? How much time? Stop
1: accepting things without reading it.
0: You must never sleep.
1: It's it's unbelievable, like the amount of policies that we have to click accept every time we go online. And there is a reason for that. So the policy here states, and I quote from the policy, Facebook may use the information we receive about you for internal operations, including research. This might not be a research institute, Facebook, but they actually, they got your consent. Now you are under their mercy. And this happened, this actually happened in 2012. Facebook ran a mass psychological experiment on 689,000 randomly selected Facebook users. They were divided into two groups. And Facebook elected to show only negative content to the first group for a whole week, while showing only positive content to the second group. And they monitored each group's behavior. Two years took them to publish the results of this experiment, and they concluded in in it, and I quote from the the research paper that was published, quote, When positive expressions were reduced... People produced fewer positive posts and more negative posts. When negative expressions were reduced, the opposite pattern occurred. These results indicate that, men- that emotions expressed by others on Facebook influence our own emotions, constituc- constituting experimental evidence for massive scale mm-hmm. contagion via social networks. End quote.
0: In other words, yeah. In other words, our moods and behaviours can be influenced by what we do online. And And, it can be controlled by whoever runs the algorithm that's responsible for the news feed uh, and the posts and the ads that we see. And this experiment was done with – we should really stress this point. The experiment that we just mentioned was done without the user's consent they didn't facebook didn't allow the users to opt out of the experiment and facebook didn't have the approval of an ethics board like any other experiment involving humans
1: yeah because they're not a research center and it's so true that what we see online affect our moods
0: yeah we're starting to t- we're starting to get into the consequences of all of this
1: and and can can change our behavior so if the algorithm can control what i see then they can control how much time I spend and what they want to, sh- to show me and just find me in those moments of psychological vulnerabilities yeah. to make me click and buy. There are so many consequences other than that the manipulation of our moods and our uh, uh, online behavior, that these, this type of advertising uh, that is affecting us as online users. So, what made digital advertising such a success, a successful business, is that websites and apps designed today to be addictive. So it's on purpose today. Those big tech, they design their websites to be addictive.
0: So we spend more time online. Exactly,
1: and the more time we spend, the more we, uh, the big tech collects data about us. The more they study us, and they more. They can sell us and show us advertising.
0: Yeah, their goal is for us to spend our whole lives online. And that Netflix president once uh, said that the only two competitors for Netflix were YouTube and Sleep.
1: And Sleep, yes. Like, they went so far. Because sometimes I felt ashamed that I couldn't get my head off my phone. I unlock my phone, looking for something, and then an hour later, I find myself still scrolling. So one Mm. of the early whistleblowers, I knew about this addictive, how it was designed to be addictive. Mm, Tristan Harris was a former Google uh, employee. He quit his job and he was one of the early whistleblowers from Silicon Valley. He studied persuasive technology at Stanford. I didn't even know they teach such courses. When he quit Google, he went and exposed the persuasive techniques big tech uses today by engineering apps to give us doses of dopamine like a slot machine in our pockets. And these were his own words. Drug addicts. Exactly, that's why we're called users, all to keep us hooked and coming for more. He also warned, warned, and I quote him, technology steers what 2 billion people are thinking and believing every day. Religions and governments don't have that much influence, but we have three technology companies who have this system That frankly, they do not even have control over. Because, you know, the algorithm can grow bigger than. I go back to his quote, which is governing what people do with their time and what they are looking at. Mm. Now,
0: 2016, researchers, they found that these targeted ads, they don't just make us buy. They can change how we think about ourselves. And according to a twenty sixteen study, we touch our phones about two thousand six hundred and seventeen times a day. This is crazy. It is. And then another study showed that seventy nine percent of phone owners, that's most of us, check their device within fifteen minutes of waking up. I'm pretty that's sure that's why, me. yeah. I
1: put my phone in the kitchen not to do that because I used to do this.
0: (laughs) Well, look, lastly, this one cracked me up. It might crack you as well. Um, One third of Americans uh, say that they would rather give up sex than lose their cell phone. Oh, my God. So, if that made you chuckle a little, um, we have some bad news for some of our listeners, right? Because the impacts and effects of this advertising model, they go way deeper and they're more serious for all of us. Our attention's been hijacked so much that one of every four car accidents in the United States is caused by texting while driving. So there's something bigger at play here. And we have shorter attention spans. We take our phones everywhere. And many of us probably become anxious if they're out of sight. So there's really deep going on here about all this uh, surveillance-based advertising.
1: Reinhardt, I have friends who text me from the bathroom and I'm like, <laughs> I want to curse what here. Do you, what I do you mean? Just, that's me. I mean, hold I myself from, you from cursing. <laughs> Don't do
0: it. <laughs> my God, that's disgusting.
1: <laughs> oh my God. So this is how much we're so anxious to be separated from our phones.
0: All jokes aside, there are some serious things we need to discuss. And Brett Weinstein in a recent podcast perhaps summed it up well. He said, in fact, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook may be more powerful in this moment than the federal government of their worst nightmares could have ever been. The power that these entities have to control thought and to to shift civilization is so great.
1: As a human rights activist, I really care about the impact of such business model on our freedom. Amnesty describes this model as a threat to human rights, including the freedom of speech and the right to non-discrimination. And we'll explain why later. Targeted ads lead to discrimination against certain people or groups. The system we've described really can filter and exclude people in a variety of ways. So you are grouped. So if I'm grouped based on my race, I can be excluded from seeing certain uh, housing ads in certain uh, neighborhood if I'm considered undesirable by the person who is renting these uh, uh, apartments or houses. Also in the same way, the system can be used to exclude female candidates from seeing certain job listings. Both of them have uh, real life examples about discrimination. Another serious harm is the lack of transparency. Let's say I'm a digital marketer and I want to use one of these advertising platforms. I don't, I don't have control of where my advertising is showing. Mm. And in and, and yeah. other forms of advertising, like say an advertiser might buy space in a newspaper or TV time slot. And so it's easy to find out what ad was shown and where and what time.
0: Yeah, but this now it's next to impossible, really, to uh, control and to find yeah. out where and who saw that ad.
1: And that's because the algorithm, because it's they use complex algorithm, and the algorithm today is the one that decides where and when my ad will be showing. And
0: so this is that black, like a black box black we we're box. talking yeah. about, right? Yeah,
1: it's a black box. This so you don't know.
0: There and even the creators of these systems have lost control of them. They wouldn't be able to peer inside and find out exactly uh, where and how uh, the ad got placed in a particular uh, space, right?
1: Yeah, and imagine the, the reputational damage for me as an advertiser if my ad was shown in the wrong place. Yeah. And also, imagine not only that. Imagine that when me, as a, an internet user, I look at an ad and they show me, there is a transparency to show me, you are see you are seeing this ad because you shopped in that grocery store, yes. you picked up that can, uh, you smelled that... Perfume. and Exactly. So imagine there is no transparency to show me as an internet user why I am seeing this ad, based on what.
0: Yeah. So, okay, because I want to talk about this other devastating effect of surveillance-based advertising, and that's the disinformation around all of uh, what we see. This system that we've described, it wants us online, it wants us liking, viewing, sharing as much as possible. And scrolling. And scrolling. And what makes us like and view and share and scroll as much as possible? Well, it's the most controversial stuff. The most attention-grabbing things will be the sensationalized material and content and posts and news. So this means that most people click on links to articles and posts that are misleading and false. The system is incentivizing low-quality information. And more than that, false information can be sent out to thousands of people and mislead whole sections of society, right? So, in 2019, the American Federal Trade Commission hit Facebook with the most significant privacy violation, get this, penalty in its history. They fined Facebook $5 billion US billion in the wake of revelations that Cambridge Analytica were allowed to micro-target more than 87 million of Facebook users. And that was used to interfere with the 2016 US presidential elections. Cambridge Analytica used big data and a process called psychometric targeting to change audience behavior. And that resulted, astonishingly, uh, to be the most guaranteed way to influence an audience.
1: Okay, today data mining and hyper-targeted advertising is the most profitable business model in the world. We mentioned Google. Facebook generated 84.2 billion US dollar in advertising revenue in 2020 only. That made Facebook one of the largest digital ad players in the US and globally. Big Tech will do everything to protect this lucrative business model, even fraud. Today, there is an ongoing class action lawsuit against Facebook. And this class action suit was originally filed by a small business owner in 2018. The suit claims that Facebook inflated metrics to boost ad revenue. According to the lawsuit, Facebook's senior executives knew for years that is potential reach function. It's a function that when you sub, when they tell you how successful is your ad on Facebook, this potential reach, they knew it was inflated and misleading. But that, and they failed to act and actively try to conceal the issue. So you as a business owner, you would be paying money. They say, this is how many people saw the ad, the potential reach. But that was wrong. It was, in, it was incorrect. So. Um, Recently, I just got a report from Influence Map, and this report was really troubling. In 2020, oil and gas companies paid at least $9.5 U.S. million to Facebook, in the U.S. only, to mislead people about the role of oil and gas on climate change. They are greenwashing. Facebook advertisement of this sector, the oil and gas sector, is designed to prolong the use of fossil fuels. These advertisements show that the fossil fuel sector is actually part of the solution to the climate crisis. What's unsettling about the statistics that I read, these advertisements were viewed at least 431 million times in 2020. 12,140 ads in this category were viewed 122 million times by younger users. The age group between 20 and 34 years old. So now this is the target. This is the harmful targeted uh, advertising. And, and also Cambridge Analytica, they are they went bankrupt. The, the people who worked in Cambridge Analytica, they are now part of another firm called OSPIX, And we'll talk about that later. Uh, for us, this leads to the growing impact of this system, the surveillance-based advertising to our freedoms, and to the democratic way of life. And it's not just the advertisers who are after our digital profiles. It's potential employers, our health insurance, law enforcement, authoritarian regimes, and that's why I'm off social media. Any corrupt politicians would love to have access to his voters or her voters' data and micro-target them. It's about anyone who can pay to hijack our data.
0: Anyone that can will, right?
1: Yeah, and it is a bleak picture that we are painting here and we're talking about, but there is a way out. And there are some very elegant alternatives to this surveillance-based advertising business model. Yeah, there are. And we want to talk about it.
0: This podcast is not only about raising awareness, but really that inspirational, hopeful message that we have for that better digital future. And one of the ways that we can get there is through alternatives like context-based advertising. So, context-based advertising is when an advertiser understands where their customers are most likely to be. They know what their customers might be interested in and where they're going to be found. So, they advertise to us within that context, that's context-based advertising. So, for example, um, advertising motor oil at a Formula One race. The New York Times, they reported advertising revenue for them grew after they abandoned surveillance-based advertising uh, for its European customers. So, the alternative proves to, it's proven to work and it is profitable.
1: And, and, and Reinhardt, if you think of it, this is a classic way of advertising. We don't really yeah. need to micro target people. It was the traditional start
0: of advertising. Yeah. Well, the other intriguing alternative, I, I really like this one, it's the consumer consent model. Yes. And I've been thinking ask about this first. for a while. <laughs> yeah, ask me first. You can choose the type of advertising you want to see based on a menu of options and things that you like. So um, let's say you launch your browser and you get a list of things that you're interested in seeing. I like music, travel, sports. And then that can tell the advertisers what to show me and the things that I actually care about. So, it benefits them and me. I, I really like this model. and yeah. uh, and I would choose- trust them.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they will tell me, you're seeing this advertising based on your options. And I would trust them and I would like it, not based on information we collected and psychometric and psychoanalyze. Oh, and- God, yes. It's just. Don't. <laughs> Don't. Monitor my online behavior well, to right. show me your advertisements. Okay,
0: fair point. Don't monitor me. But what can we do, right? What can yeah. uh, the individual do?
1: We, there are things that we all uh, we, ca- we can all do to fight back or spread the awareness. And there is hope, namely by exercising our freedom of thought and freedom of speech. We, as internet users or netizens, we should refuse anyone taking control of our minds and time. That's what authoritarian regimes do. And I lived all my life under authoritarian regime. There's no freedom of thought, no freedom of expression. I really value living here in Australia because I can speak up my mind. I can challenge authority. I can ask why, and I can also find answers to my questions. The internet is an important powerhouse of this amazing freedom. And we don't want to give this up. No. We wouldn't want to compromise the integrity of our democracy. That is people's lives, people's futures. That's my kids' futures. So when Big Tech play with our democracy and and, and play with our freedom and minds, this is where we draw Draw, the line and say, no.
0: You've gone too far. You've gone
1: too far. Exactly.
0: So we're calling for a ban. Of this invasive and unethical surveillance based advertising. Yes.
1: We join the Norwegian Report, the Norwegian yeah. Consumer Council, for a call for a ban, a global ban yeah. on this invasive and ethical and unethical surveillance based advertising.
0: We're also hoping that our policymakers create regulatory bodies uh, that monitor this manipulative, highly addictive technology the same way that they regulate drugs and tobacco. Yeah, and, maybe- and should be the same. Yeah, it should. It should be, be
1: treated the same. Uh, uh, yeah. Any addictive technology should be treated the same as an addictive s- substance.
0: You know, medicine long ago realized that they had to introduce and integrate ethics into teaching their students.
1: Is it or
0: And maybe that's what needs to happen with technologists. Computer scientists in universities.
1: Computer scientists. Technologists should definitely study ethics. It should be embedded. in. A, I'm a computer scientist, and I only st- studied uh, zeros and ones and programming. I didn't study that. Yeah, my technology does affect. There is a human being on the other side of my technology that's been affected. Ethics should be taught to those people in tech. Quite simply, our mental health, our human experience, and our liberties are not for sale.
0: All right, so while we wait for some of those things to happen and those alternatives, there are things you, the listener, can do. You can fight back against big tech surveillance and you can practice privacy better. And in order to do that, we're going to help you with our very own digital self-defense course.
1: We fight alone or all together. (laughs)
0: Round one. So be prepared. You are now entering. You are yeah, now it's... entering the kung fu zone of digital self-defense.
1: So I, I wish there was a simple answer to this, but you will be surprised if I tell you once you go online, nothing is private. You have to accept this fact. Yeah. And so you cannot fully protect yourself once you go online, unless you go back. You either go totally off the grid, or you just go back to your 1997. You know, the Ooh, snake Nokia.
0: Yes, I got. I'll, I'll dust. <laughs> I'll dust mine off.
1: <laughs> I tried, believe me, I tried to use my old Didn't phone. I, I couldn't. <laughs> We're so dependent on our phones. We
0: are, yeah.
1: Uh, so apart from minimizing the harm by just making informed clicks, like reading our po- privacy policies. Uh, and it will con- consume hundreds of hours of our lives. Believe me, it does. This is why oh God, I minimize yeah. new websites I visit. Um, and sometimes you need a legal advisor to understand what's going on there before you give an informed consent. <laughs> Bring a consent. lawyer
0: with me every time I go online. <laughs>
1: I think a really best hope today Reinhardt is this we do podcasts like this. We yes, write that's right. We write, we read, we talk about it and we want to expose these shady and unethical ways of tracking and profiling us.
0: Snoop onto them as they snoop onto us.
1: Uh <laughs> <Snoop>. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> That was a hacker's quote, by the way. <laughs>
1: that's a new word for me, Snoopy. Oh, Snoopy, Okay, yes. that's what Snoopy means. <laughs> so there are some, some strategies that you can use today, we can all use today to evade online tracking. Uh, try to stay away from s- search engines like Google that keeps a record of every search you did in your history. You can use DuckDuckGo, and the name is so funny, it's a private search engine and it helps you keep your search to yourself like you keep it private. No one knows what you've been searching about. Uh, you can also use invasive. We can use invasive, uh, remove invasive privacy apps from our phone. Today, Apple, when you go to Apple Store, they show you the privacy report of any app that you download on your phone and they show you what type of information they keep about you. They also tell you if that app is tracking you. There are apps known to be very invasive, privacy invasive, like Facebook, TikTok. Just stay away from them. Remove them from your phone. You can't control the things they collect about you. Uh, Using private browsers like Tor, Brave, Safari is also a private browser. Uh, Mozilla is a private... uh, uh, Firefox Mozilla is a private browser. One of the ways to evade being tracked or to have more Digital privacy rights is to act or to browse the Internet as if you're coming from the EU, from the European Union, because they have very strong privacy, digital privacy regulations in the EU. They have the General Data Protection Regulation or the GDPR. I use personally a VPN and I connect to any EU country and suddenly all the websites are opting me out by default. And they explaining to me where my data, what, da- what type of data are collected and who they are sharing it with. And I have the choice to opt in by def- So by default, if you are outside the EU, you are opt in. But when you are coming from the EU, you are opt out by default. There is a, uh, a good uh, privacy tool. It's free. You can download it and use it. It's called Privacy Badger. And it's good for private browsing if you go online. But again, we mentioned fingerprinting. So all the things uh, I just mentioned will not work. Fingerprinting can evade all this hygiene and rituals uh, that you're doing.
0: Okay. So you've given our listeners something that they can do practically to help. And that's great. We've looked at surveillance-based advertising today. We've covered what it is, how it works, the ecosystem that supports it. We've looked at the impact that it has on us as individuals and wider society. We've covered the alternatives. Is there anything else that we need to cover?
1: I want to share a personal story that my best friend shared with me recently. He's applying for a loan to buy a house. So I told him about reading the privacy policy, at least just read the part about the information they collect about you, and who they do who they sell it to. He's applying for a loan and the, the broker that he's getting the loan through ask him to download this app. Okay. And this is the email the broker sent him. A common financing pain point is obtaining bank statements in a format acceptable to a lender. This is easily solved by using a service that allows you to log into your online banking and have your statements retrieved and automatically sent to us.
0: That The service risky. is
1: provided by an Australian company. I doubt it, but I have to look them up. It takes less than thirty seconds. And to protect you, what not give us access to your online banking. Wow. Everything sounds very well now, right? <laughs> you can access it here, and this is the link: bankstatements.com.au. Okay. When he followed the link, he was very curious. And he said, I looked at the privacy policy of this company. And the privacy policy, when he read it, explains that they do what they do with his personal data. So once this uh, company accesses his bank account, they access all his bank transactions data. And they put it in a database and sell that to as many companies as they can.
0: Unbelievable.
1: It's it's fascinating, and he he refused to give that company access to his wow. uh, bank statements, and he dropped that broker completely. So this is why he he told me, "How about you guys have Evil Spotter on your show?" So oh. we're going to introduce Evil Spotter.
0: Evil Spotters. So
1: we have here we have an idea. After this incident, yes, we want you to participate, and if you have a personal story to share about Big Tick going too far. Use the hashtag EvilSpotter and mention our Twitter account TickNumberFourEvil. Tick for Evil. You may also share it anonymously on our website or send us, send us an email to contact at tickforevil.com. That's ticknumberforevil.com. Please become an evil spotter and join the fight against Big Tick going too far. Thank you everyone for listening.
0: Thank you and see you next time.